what Debbie and Michael brought to the table was more of the optimism, you know, the yes, instead of no because, we're not going to fund this because, and here's your 75 nuanced reasons and detail why not to pr pursue this line of research, but a yes if. Yes, if this person's right, we might be on to something. Let's give it a chance. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Navigating Parkinson's disease can be challenging, but we're here to help. Welcome to the Michael J. Fox Foundation podcast. Tune in as we discuss what you should know today about Parkinson's research, living well with the disease, and the Foundation's mission to speed a cure. Free resources like this podcast are always available at michaeljfox.org. Hello, welcome to the Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's podcast. I'm Larry Gifford a proud member of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council, founder of pdavengers.com, and host of another podcast called When Life Gives You Parkinson's. October 31st, 2020 marked 20 years of the Michael J. Fox Foundation. It's not necessarily a milestone to celebrate because the ultimate goal is to find a cure and go out of business. However, it is entirely appropriate for us to marvel, honor, and even celebrate the impact this organization has had in the way that Parkinson's is seen and treated. I hope to revisit different aspects of MJFF's history over the next few months. The first episode here delves into milestones and momentum into Parkinson's research. 20 years of impactful research into Parkinson's, improving quality of life for people with Parkinson's, and getting us closer each day for a way to stop PD in its tracks. My guests today have been the driving force of Michael J. Fox's vision. Debbie Brooks co-founded the foundation with Michael J. Fox and is the executive vice chairman. And Todd Shear, PhD. Todd joined MJFF in 2004 as the associate director of research programs. He is now the chief executive officer of the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research. Oh, I can't wait to get started. Thank you both for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks, Larry. Always great to be here with you and hear what Debbie has to say, too. <laughs> yeah, now, uh, you guys behave yourselves. I don't want to have to break up any fights. <laughs> Today, we're going to walk down memory lane. Uh, we'll be listening to audio from some of the people who've played a central role and had a front row seat to 20 years of research momentum. And I think, you know, we should probably start with Michael J. Fox, who founded the organization with a singular focus. We decided to focus on research, and that, I think it really helped us to... to, to to pinpoint where we wanted to go and, and, and see where it took us. We have a theory that I still hold to that the science is ahead of the money. It's just a matter of getting the right science together with the right money. Now, Debbie, I suppose you might remember the first time that Michael said the science is ahead of the money. Yep. You know, one of the things that's so amazing about Michael is not just his insights, but he just can simplify and focus everybody on the core task at hand. And that clarity of the science ahead of the money just says it all. And it really, uh, you know, it, it, it is a simple phrase that resonates with the, the patients and families and also with the scientific community. It's truth. Yeah, it is truth. And it, it, it makes total sense. Um, before MJFF, you were a Goldman Sachs executive. Michael was a TV star and a movie star. How did you end up joining forces? 
Um, well, we seem like an unlikely pair, but uh, you know, we we our passions were um, not exactly the same, but they were really complementary. So, of course, Michael, as a patient, once he was public and and realized that he might have an important role to play in galvanizing the community, he wanted to figure out how to get involved and. I um, in I had left my career at Goldman Sachs um, principally to get involved with the nonprofit sector, but not with a specific mission in mind. I was kind of one of those people that, you know, anytime I was at a fundraiser and saw a video, you could count on me to be moved and think, oh my goodness, this is such important work. And and I still feel like that, of course. And I, I didn't have a personal connection to Parkinson's, nor did I know Michael. But I really had um, developed a passion and a belief that it's not enough to be philanthropic, but there was a real opportunity to have philanthropy capital be more impactful. And so I, uh, in, in going to the nonprofit sector, I really wanted to bring some of um, that passion and that specificity. And in meeting him, it was just so clear, he, he and I shared the right values. And I think that's the perfect place to start when you're building anything. What were those values? Well, for me, it, it was that kind of productivity of capital sounds a little like business jargon, but I'm really passionate about that. I mean, you know, there's, and even in the phrase, the science is the head of the money, you know, that's the first step. And then you have to really think about, okay, so how do you think about matching up the right um, money to the right science? And and that is something I'm, I was always interested in making sure that if you're going to do it, figure out how to move the dial. And, um, and his, you know, and, and I'm kind of a act on it kind of person. And so that's my version of urgency. Um, Michael's is, is the, the same version that I think so many patients and families hold, which is now is better than, than the future. You know, what can we do today? And, and given what we know, what actions can we take? So, you know, that notion of productivity, the the value around urgency. Um, we both feel very strongly about accountability. Um, and, you know, he, he had his uh, name and reputation on the line and I felt strongly, I'm, I kind of am earnest, you know, so, and I, I, I think also we both recognize that it would, you know, that, that collaboration would be needed. So how do you think about partnering? And so I think these things were coming together and, and pretty clear right from the get-go. In our first meeting, I, uh, we felt that, um, that connection. Now, when you announced that uh, you were launching the Michael J. Fox Foundation for, for Parkinson's Research, how was that news received by the research community? I think there was a lot of enthusiasm. I mean, um, you know, Michael was already, even though he'd been diagnosed and hid his illness for seven or eight years, he was at this point public and had mentioned those intentions. There was no um, organization really in place quite yet. So by the time um, I was hired and had the chance to kind of put together a very quick <laughs> um, uh, game plan, I thought there was, a, I think there was a lot of pent up um, interest. And, and, you know, I knew that Michael would of course inspire people with Parkinson's and their families. Um, but I had a sense, you know, scientists would get excited and inspired by that too. And that really did play out. Um, folks were excited about the attention, 
Um, but I think they were tuned into the promise that that Michael would be successful in raising awareness and bringing together community. And, you know, researchers are wise. They also, they know where to sniff out some good capital opportunities. And so I think there was that uh, enthusiasm also was, was, uh, was at hand. You opened the doors on October 31st, 2000. Has the vision and mission of the organization evolved much since then? Well, of course, we've evolved. We've learned about how to, um, uh, you know, kind of put our money to work. But the philosophy, I think, is the same. You know, we, you know, thinking about there's kind of no end to the amount of money that you could spend on research. So, you know, we had to really think about whatever amount of um, money we were going to be able to raise, whether it was a couple million dollars in the first um, handful of years versus now, you know, uh, you know, well over a hundred million dollars a year, you know, you have to know how to spend it smartly. And I think though that aspect is still how we treat our, our daily and our annual plans. You know, we want to be as smart as we can with whatever um, money we can assemble um, from our funding partners and, and, and just make the most of that um, deployment at any point in time. Now, you, you had mentioned the importance of urgency earlier. As you grow, as the organization grows into $100 million a year of investment every year, does it become harder to have that urgency? Um, I don't. Th- I, th- I think that urgency is um, a state of mind and a practice. Um, so I don't think... I don't think you lose it intentionally. Uh, what I've seen and witnessed, and Todd could speak more to this as well, is that the further we've gotten into this, the more complex some of this, the, the scientific um, opportunities have become or the orchestration around some of the biggest um, uh, needs in terms of scientific uh, leadership and breakthrough. And so it's not that we're less urgent but there are times when what we're trying to accomplish is extremely complex and and we're wise we are wise to devote the right amount of time to getting that right there's no point in rushing to the wrong actions and so today i think um you know it's a bigger ship um but i'm really i remain impressed with our um, program team's ability to really adapt and evolve and respond and lead. And all those things have to be done thoughtfully. And so urgency, I think, one of the things I'm most proud of is when I uh, get the chance to connect with, with people out in the community and people who know us well, or people who are just meeting us, and maybe I'm the second person they've met from the Fox Foundation. You know, one of the most consistent things I hear is the um, how people in our community experience the Fox Foundation team. And you hear the values that Michael and I felt strongly about um, kind of reflected back in the way in which the team interacts with everybody that we engage with, their heart and head put to work on um, 
doing it whatever it takes to to move the dial and and I think that you know that reminds me I get that constant reminder that urgency is one of those things and it's certainly valued by um, the the, uh, the people with Parkinson's and their and their loved ones. Todd, she invoked your name, so I'm going to bring you into the conversation. You you entered the Michael J. Fox Foundation when it was four years old. Uh, how hard is it to have that urgency as you grow and grow and grow? Um, yeah, thanks, Larry. I just maybe I'll make a few comments just to add into what Debbie said, and then use my um, liberty then, to then answer your question. <laughs> First, one of the things I think you know, I was in the scientific community in 2000, so I got to see the foundation first from that side. Um, and then as I joined, as you said, in 2004, sort of seeing it grow and, and develop from the inside. I mean, one of the things about urgency that I think was clear from the beginning, um, which is still very active at the foundation, um, relates to even the discussion that uh, you were having with Debbie around the science being ahead of the money. Um, one of the other things that Debbie and Michael really emphasized from the beginning was also to focus the time of scientists and clinicians and, and other researchers on conducting the research and not on seeking the funding. So scientists spend a lot of time writing applications and submitting and resubmitting, and that's time spent away from actually investigating the research, the disease, and developing the therapies. So that kind of process shortcut that was brought in shortening applications, getting decisions out very quickly, getting the money out to the scientists very quickly was very core from the beginning. And I think that is the urgency in action. And that made a huge difference to the scientific community, not just getting the money, but getting it quickly so you could actually move your research forward. And ultimately, the goal is that it, that moves the ball down the the field faster for people waiting for the outcome of the new treatments. And that's something that we have maintained um, throughout at the foundation about really a, a goal of getting the money out to the researchers as quickly as we can from when it comes in. And in, in fact, Debbie and Michael are so urgent and aggressive that we commit grants even before we have the money many times, and then we raise the money as it's going. And I, that really is the core of trying to deliver the best from that research as quickly as possible. And that's something that we still do, even as, as Debbie was saying, as the projects become more and more complicated, you can risk the chance of just anal paralysis by analysis. And that's something we really avoid. We start going and you learn as you go. And I think that is really a critical component of, of the urgency. That's great. Um, I'm going to play another soundbite here. Uh, Dr. Andrew Singleton is a distinguished investigator at the National Institutes of Health and serves on the Scientific Advisory Board for the Foundation. He remembers the early days of excitement and anticipation. There was a sort, certain frenetic energy to that, uh, to that organization, just this view of we have a blank slate, let's move forward, let's see what we can do, and that's incredibly exciting. How do you keep that excitement over the years? Because I know when I when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's three years ago now, the Fox Foundation is exciting. Like it's one of the first places I went to, and 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 even just talking to you guys, I'm excited. So there's a, some somehow you've kept that excitement alive, and I don't know how you do it. I, I think from from my perspective on this, the excitement 
first comes with the people that work at the foundation. They're very committed to the mission. Um, and we get excitement in two directions. The science and the research that's happening in Parkinson's is very exciting. There's been significant breakthroughs in our understanding of the disease, the development of new clinical trials, new drugs that make it you know, to the market. So success begets excitement. Um, but then I think we also get a lot of energy from the community that we interact with, um, the families and kind of the, the people really pushing for more advances from the community. So that those inputs, the fact that we are really out there with both the research and the scientific community, I think really helped to maintain and build on that excitement and the desire to really deliver outcomes for both of those groups keeps us motivated. Debbie, do you want to add to that? Well, you know, we saw successes early and the nature of the successes have changed, but that was so motivating and so empowering. And I, I always am mindful to say the Fox Foundation didn't create um, the science that we fund. In fact, the day we started putting grants out there, you know, we didn't conjure up the scientific ideas. They were there. There just wasn't the right funder for those ideas. And that had a, it was a combination of the size of money that we were able to put out even early. I mean, it wasn't huge, but our first grant program, we issued ten to $100,000 grants. And that's serious money in, in, in uh, research philanthropy. And it got people excited, but it was always also that we were willing to take more risk. And so taking that risk and moving quickly, you know, Todd described some of our process enhancements that we introduced right out of the gates. And, you know, that really, that was very stimulating and, you know, kind of reinforced all that excitement. And that started to work. I mean, I think about our first um, RFA that we put out in the marketplace and we knew nothing. We didn't know any people. We had no database of scientists to reach out to. And there was really no backdrop of understanding. Again, our for me and Michael, our backgrounds were not in this area, so we didn't know what to expect. And as we put out our first, um, you know, kind of re request for proposals from the scientific community, we were absolutely blown away by the response. Now, of course, like I said, we didn't know what to expect, but within a couple of weeks, I happened to be at a meeting at the National Institutes of Health and they asked, how's it going? And I said, well, we got 220 applications from about, uh, from scientists in 20 different countries. And geez, we have a million dollars to give away, but the total request was for over $20 million and their jaws dropped. And I thought, <laughs> oh my goodness, this must be good news. And, <laughs> and so I just could see, I mean, I could just see in those early months, but even in the early years, um, you know, there was some, there was magic going on here. And again, it's not that we created the magic in the science, but we enabled an environment of new possibilities. And again, I think that we are, we are, we remain, you know, kind of right in between um, at the nexus of so many um, ways in which um, action can be facilitated. 
And, and I think that, you know, we continue to feel the jazz that comes from that. And I think that that does, Todd's right. The staff is, is right in the mix of that. And we get, we get a lot of um, encouragement and reinforcement, but we also, we are dedicated to staffing the hard stuff. I mean, we're, we're animal about being problem solvers. And, and so these things come together and they continue to come together. It's, it's one of the the um, elements of being at this for 20 years and not not being bored or burnt out or um, discouraged. You know, it just it, I mean, it's hard work. I, it is definitely hard work. But this this um, considerable flow of um, uh, energy that comes from pulling more and more people in getting more and more things happening you know as we've expanded um what we can put to work each year you know we're no longer in the business of doing things in sequence i mean there is a sequence to getting aha moments to the drugstore shelf but we don't have to do one thing at a time we can now do so many things concurrently and it just there's a there's a momentum and a vibrancy to that that I think does have a feedback loop that goes right back to keeping everybody energized and focused. I love how the Fox Foundation has an animalistic attitude. It's you used animal as, a, as an adjective, and I love that. <laughs> we are a fox. Well, of course, yeah. Um, you you mentioned that first uh, RFA it was January first, two thousand one. Um, in the, the the announcement of the first round of research grants. Michael truly putting his money where his mouth was as the foundation used profits from his first book, Lucky Man, to fund the foundation's first research grants. And I'm going to read from the release. Grants should involve research that could reasonably be expected to shed light on the cause of Parkinson's disease and or lead to the development of a cure or better treatments for the disorder. Grant applications should be no more than five pages in length. And five pages was italicized. The deadline was February 1st, 2001, just one month. Why was five pages italicized? Well, um, so as we were getting started again, knew nothing, went to school quickly though. And, um, you know, I still have uh, this, um, you know, very visceral response to some of the early interactions that helped guide our early choices. And one of them was an unsolicited phone call from Mike Milken. And he had, uh, he has famously um, been involved in uh, cancer research for many, for many decades, actually. And, and with Michael's um, public uh, uh, declarations and the launch of the foundation, Mike Milken called, you know, my office and said, hey, I'm in town. I'd like to meet you and Michael. I I feel like I could be helpful. And I actually knew knew of Mike Milken from my Goldman Sachs days. And um, and I thought, that, well, this is so interesting. He's definitely a, a, a brilliant thinker. And Michael and I met and, and one other uh, board member, the three of us met Mike Milken uh, for what I thought was going to be lunch at the um, St. Regis Hotel in New York City. And in 40 minutes, he had hot water with lemon in it, and the three of us just sit there and sat there and took it all in. He just gave us a lot of quick observations and insights, and and you know he was interested in in helping us 
you know, kind of get some of the shortcuts, be exposed to some of the shortcuts. And so he had said, and, and it's true, scientists spend all this time, you know, raising money for their work. And even when you're raising money from the U.S. government, which is, you know, had traditionally been the largest funder of Parkinson's research in the world, I, I think we're now close to surpass, I think we've maybe surpassing them. Um, but at the time, they were giving more and they were the largest. And it would be common to submit a, for a proposal and put a 25-page application plus oh. appendices. And to Todd's earlier point, you'd submit that and then maybe in the next nine months, there would be a grant review. And then within the nine months after that, you might get a check and, you know, plus or minus a little bit, depending on the cycles. And so these were high labor intensive and time intensive um, cycles. And so for us to be out in the marketplace and say five pages, which meant make it easy, which by the way, in turn, I found out later, a lot of scientists didn't think that was so easy. It was a lot harder to cram it all into five pages, but it really did help crystallize. And our review committee was equally um, dubious. And I said, oh, come on, let's just try it. You know, naive Debbie, let's just let's just get to give a shot. But they were actually all quite um, taken with it after the first try, and we've never turned back. Um, but that five pages and also that really fast turnaround, um, those were those were seminal shifts. And and I think um, it was showing the field we were going to try things. I Today, was just going to add to this what Debbie said about trying things. It's also the philosophy that was brought into the evaluation of the proposals. So scientists um, are very conservative by nature and want a lot of evidence. And there's a tendency to really be able to demonstrate you've already completed the projects before you can win the funding for the project, which in some ways makes the question of why you need the funding for the projects a question, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, I've been, you know, as a scientist, you, you will submit a paper or a document or a proposal and you're frequently will receive a, a response that says, you know, this was a well-written and well-conducted project. I have 75 minor, you know, comments and it's all the critiques of every, you know, aspect. And it's just how scientific minds work. And what Debbie and Michael brought to the table was more of the optimism you know, the yes, instead of no because, we're not going to fund this because, and here's your 75 nuanced reasons and detail why not to pr pursue this line of research. But a yes if. Yes, if this person's right, we might be on to something. Let's give it a chance. Mm. And I think that was also a really significant change in the philosophy of really trying to push people to do things they had not done before in Parkinson's research by having bringing that to the table in how we selected projects. And that's how you lead to, to change. If we just keep funding projects that we know are gonna work and we've never succeeded with the treatments we want, you're kind of in a, in a loop. And I think that was very significant. And that's still to this day, you know, we'll fund part of projects or we'll go back to people and say, you're on to something, we're willing to fund this, but make these changes, but we wanna see it, this get a chance and see if it works out. Debbie, did you hire Todd? Uh, yes. Yeah. So Todd um, was uh, actually Todd was a grant recipient at the Fox Foundation. He had been 
um, a, uh, a fellow um, in the lab of one of our scientific advisors. And um, I remember uh, uh, Tim Greenemeyer calling and saying, hey, listen, Todd's probably not going to, you know, launch his own lab. He's going to look to um, do something different. He's exceptionally capable. You need to talk to him. And so um, myself and I think at that time, maybe Katie Hood, we we met with Todd and and it was, you know, it was a an, we were just at this time where I had a, a deep appreciation for the fact that I had a lot of things I could bring to the table in terms of process ideas, the chutzpah to try things differently, the naivete to sit in a room with a bunch of scientists and say, oh, let's try it. You know, and they wouldn't argue with me. I, they, I was just a different beast for them. Um, and I, I certainly had been able to connect with um, with a small number of, uh, of generous donors in the early stages of our work. But it became clear to me quickly that we really needed PhDs on staff. It was, it was mostly about the difference between um, asking volunteers to show up a couple days a year, set their egos and their priorities aside and come in and like set a course for you. I, I, that's a more traditional model to kind of outsource the scientific point of view and the scientific selections. And I just felt like, listen, science is not our twice a year work. Science is our everyday work. And, and I need people who are here every day thinking about this. And so it was a perfect um, storm to be able to connect with someone like Todd and, and kind of, you know, have him join our team and really be, um, and, and importantly, kind of, you know, he's, he's obviously had a scientific career, but he's still relatively in some ways junior in his career. And that was important too, to have a scientist who was interested in a new way of thinking about this. Because, you know, Todd talked about before how the, um, you know, having the scientific community appreciate that we were going to try things differently. I had, to, I had to train the reviewers, my scientific advisors. They were all reticent about this too. I don't think this will work. Five pages, that's that's not enough, you know. And 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 so to bring in a scientific team and, and to build a scientific internal uh, point of view, it also meant having someone who was open to like thinking about science in a new way. And so it was a terrific opportunity for the Fox Foundation. And obviously I think I selected well. Oh, well I did yes. get a letter that said your interview went well, but I have these 75 critiques. <laughs> uh, do you remember that first meeting, Todd? Um, well, int so interestingly, my one of the things that I was excited about with the foundation was, as Debbie mentioned, I had a grant from the foundation. and. One of the things that um, Debbie mentioned earlier was the accountability component of the foundation funding. So in most cases, when you receive funding, um, you're sort of given the grant and sort of left on your own, you know, do what you want with it. You'll have to do, you do have to submit progress reports, but they're more perfunctory and you're only really evaluated when you're ready to come back for new funding. And at that point you could propose a completely new project. So there's not really a, close eye on what you did with the money and did you actually follow through on what you had proposed. 
So that was not going to fly with with Debbie and Michael because of the accountability to the donors who had given the money, but also to the outcome, to the mission. We're trying to to move this process and and project uh, forward for new treatments. So as part of the fellowship, they actually organized uh, what was called an assessment meeting, which was unheard of, you know, in the in the scientific community, where in the middle of our fellowships, all the fellows, there were 12 of us, all came to New York and we were actually um, required to present the work that we had done in the first year of our fellowship. So again, this would be pre-published, preliminary data. Um, Michael always jokes that the uh, scientists were the kid was the kid in the room who covered his paper so no one could copy <laughs> off of him or her. But this was now be you were being asked and and actually you were asked in the context of the second year of your fellowship was dependent on doing it. So it was kind of the way Debbie asks people to do things. Um, you really had no choice. <laughs> but so there was a obviously a stick part of this. But the carrot part of this was what really got me excited about the foundation, because now here I was, a, a junior fellow, presenting my work, and the audience were 11 other fellows, but all the mentors. So 12 leading scientists from across the world in the Parkinson's field, and I was getting feedback, you know, not in a very, in a very constructive way. Have you tried this? Oh, I could send you this, this reagent from my lab. Have you ever thought of doing this? And my research was was getting better in the in the minute, you know, in real time while I was having this interaction. And I just got very excited about this was a new way to really advance research, not send people off on their own with the money and really make people be part of a community of funded researchers. And I, and I do think that people that are funded by the Fox Foundation do experience that because they get the funding they get the connections and they get the support of our scientific staff. We're rooting for their success because it's it helps the mission and helps develop new treatments. And that kind of hooked me into really being part of this. Um, and that was that was probably in 2002, maybe many, many years ago. Oh, so many milestones and so much momentum. And we're only through the first four years. On the next episode, as we explore 20 years of impact research into Parkinson's. We might be able to detect early someone who has yet to show motor features. To find out more on how you can participate in Parkinson's research, head over to the website, michaeljfox.org. Debbie and Todd will join me again for part two of this special podcast series of milestones and momentum in Parkinson's research. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends and please leave a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. For everyone at MJFF who is here until Parkinson's isn't, thank you for listening. I'm Larry Gifford. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Parkinson's Pod. Be well. We'll talk to you next time. Did you enjoy this podcast? Share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation at michaeljfox.org. Thanks for listening. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. <laughs>